Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the Book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. As Bonnie was playing her instrumental, I was thinking back about all of the times in my life I've heard or sung Just As I Am, and all the wonderful memories that I have singing that song both in church but also in revival meetings. And I was watching a modern church service this last week over the internet, and the one thing that the church is rapidly losing just like Western civilization is rapidly losing, are those foundational experiences that pass from one generation to the next. We first saw it in Western literature, both even in secular literature, as secular society started doing away with Western literature, and the reason why was the spiritual meanings in a lot of that literature. And unfortunately, the church is divorcing itself from old hymns. Now, you know, just as I am is not an ancient hymn, but it's an old hymn, and it's a hymn that my grandfather knew, and my dad knew, and I knew, and I just look at what's going on today, and I think we're missing that touchstone to where if we completely remove our past and don't have those touchstones, I think the church misses it's richness in worship. And um, I'll get off my soapbox and we can, we can go to the Lord in prayer and start our message. Join me in prayer. Father, we just praise you that you do accept us as we approach you. And you accept us and you cleanse us and you change us. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd continue to change us through the power of your indwelling spirit and that we might be used by you as a vessel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're still in Romans chapter 14. If you would like to turn in your Bible to the 14th chapter of Romans. And if you recall, we're progressing through Paul's instructions to the church on how we should treat one another as we come together for corporate worship. And as I stated previously, the church of Rome was just like any other church. It was composed of a group of people of diverse backgrounds, different backgrounds, different in age, different in experience, different socioeconomic groups. It's a sign of a healthy church. And inside the church of Rome, there were mature and there were immature believers, some from a background of Judaism, some from a background of Gentiles who came out of idolatry and paganism. And within both groups, you had mature and immature. You had immature and mature Jews, You had mature and immature Gentiles. And here in Romans 14, as well as the church at Corinth, Paul is dealing with, in one particular instance, meat that was sacrificed to an idol, 
that was then later sold for public consumption. And the weak Gentile believer coming out of a background of idolatry, that was their past. They had a severe problem with this because this reminded them of what they were saved from. They were saved from paganism. And then you can imagine you're putting this meat that had previously been offered to a false god and they can't deal with it. Now, last week in Romans 10, 14, 10 through 13, Paul tells the church that we shouldn't be judgmental on the matter. And let me remind you, we are not talking about sin that is prohibited in the Bible. This doesn't deal with sin. And as I mentioned before, Martin Lloyd-Jones calls these matters of indifference. So they're both of these groups, immature, immature, are both wanting to pursue God. They're both, they're both wanting to progress in their pursuit of God. And Paul is instructing the church in 10 through 13 that we shouldn't be judgmental, that each person has to come to their own conclusion. And then he reminded the church that we all will appear individually and give an account individually before the Lord Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our focal passage this morning, Romans 14, 14 through 18. Follow along with me in your Bible. It reads, I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. First, Paul states that Christ has convicted him that all things are clean. All things are clean. In other words, he's stating that there are no dietary restrictions in the pursuit of God. And let me point out when he states that in verse 14 of the 14th chapter, he's not stating his personal opinion. He says, I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus. He's not saying this is my opinion of the matter. In having the power of an apostle, he's saying all things are clean. Now, this isn't a small statement. Because if you know Paul's past, he came out of a strict background in Judaism. And in fact, in Philippians 3, starting in the last part of verse 4, Paul says... If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, as Paul wrote this in Philippians, it had to deal with circumcision, but also when he makes the statement that he is a Pharisee of the Pharisees, what he's saying is, is that I've held true to all aspects of Judaism. And one of the very large aspects of Judaism is the adherence to a dietary law. This was Paul's past. This was his past. And now as a saved Christian, back to our focal passage in Romans 14, 14, he says, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. He's been transformed. He went from an old life to a new life. And he said, all things are clean. However, he also recognizes that there are people who think differently and may have more of an immature view of what he has. Because when you look at the last part of 14, after he declared that there's nothing unclean of itself, It says, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And if you think about it, what Paul is doing here is he's stating the fact that inside of a church, there are going to be mature and immature believers. And there will be immature believers who, because of their past, may have a different view of liberty because they've experienced sin in such a way that they've rearranged their life not to remind themselves of where they came from. They don't want to have anything to do with it. It's their conscience. Now, I want to bring up a point that I think is very important. Being mature or being immature, those aren't static words, and especially in regarding the immature. Because what we believe, we believe in the doctrine of sanctification. And that doctrine of sanctification means that through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you and dwelling inside of me, that God moves us. He moves us from being immature to mature. And in fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says, Therefore lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, As newborn babes, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In other words, to the immature believer, 
As you read the Word of God, the Word of God through the indwelling of the Spirit creates sanctification in your life for you progress in your holiness and also in your wisdom of the things of Christ. And I think this is important for us to realize that there is spiritual growth through the Word. You see it in Paul's life. He said, I am convinced by Jesus Christ that all things are clean. Clean of itself. And you and I have that same experience. As we spend time in the Word, we grow. And I think it's important for us to realize that's why we teach the Bible. That's why the preaching is the most predominant thing in our worship service. Because it's the only thing in which you're going to grow. I love music. I love music. And I love to sing. But you are going to grow by the presentation of the Word of God. And unfortunately, in churches now, the presentation of the Word, the time allotted for the presentation of the Word, has continued to diminish to where you actually, in some settings, see the pastor only preach 15 minutes. Like, who can preach anything in 15 minutes? And the purpose isn't for the pastor to hear his own voice. The purpose is of the presentation of the Word, and through the presentation of the Word, the Word is heard, the Spirit is dwelling inside of us, and the believer matures. It's why we have the Bible study hour before church. It's why we have Wednesday night. The more the believer immerses themselves in the Word of God, the Spirit changes and grows us. And so being immature is not final. It's not final. And the wonderful thing about it is, is that it doesn't matter how old you are. You may have come from a background where the church that you went to previously didn't spend a lot of time in the Word. In fact, we've heard a lot of people say that. Fortunately for us, we have people from all different backgrounds, all different denominational backgrounds. And you may have never been exposed to the Word and doctrine and the teaching of the Word And it doesn't matter how old you are to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter. You can learn and understand and have the wisdom of God given to you through the presentation of the word. And as I've said before, I have never ever picked up this book. And when I put it down, thought that was a waste of time. I've done that with a movie. I've done that with a secular book. I've done that going to different events. But I have never opened up the Word of God without it finding meaning and purpose and instruction in my life. Immaturity is not final among the people of God. And we have to recognize that in 
amongst us are the immature and mature. So what should we do until God causes maturity? Well, Paul tells us in verse 15 of our focal passage in regarding to someone who has a heightened sense of this idol me. It says, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about something in what Paul just wrote. Paul is telling us that if you are a mature Christian, you should love your brother or sister so much that you're willing to defer your rights. Paul already declared there's nothing unclean. He said, I don't have a problem with it. But he said, if your brother is grieved, you should defer your own rights. Now, I'll say this. This only can be accomplished in a church that isn't full of strangers. And unfortunately today, there's churches full of strangers. Everybody comes in for their hour, they leave, they don't know one another, they don't interact with one another. And for spiritual growth, and for fellowship, and for instruction to be going along, we all need to know one another. And in knowing one another, we have to recognize where each one of us are at spiritually. Now, some would argue, well, this just doesn't even make sense anymore. Because we don't have an idle butcher shop down on the corner, do we? But I would disagree. First, I would make the argument that Jews and Muslims today are still under strict dietary laws. Now, if I have a Muslim that has converted to Christianity, I should be sensitive to them to where if they come to my home, I'm not going to offer them a ham sandwich. Because old habits are hard to break, and we need to be sensitive to that. Last week, I used the example of alcoholics. I've encountered alcoholics that have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, and they do not want to have a thing to do with alcohol. Alcohol is going to cause them... A massive problem. Now, it may be your right to have a glass of alcohol. But to have a glass of alcohol in front of someone who came out of a background of alcoholism is absolutely being insensitive. And this is what Paul is saying. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. 
Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. As I mentioned last week, Kathy and I live in a different part of the state. We grew up with a teetotaling background. Both of our families were teetotalers. And it's hard to overcome that background. When you grew up in a teetotaling environment, it's hard to overcome that. As I mentioned, I grew up in a dry county. And I'll never forget when I went to Baylor, I never saw beer in a grocery store until I moved to Waco, Texas. It was odd. It was odd seeing that. That's just part of my background. Is alcohol wrong in moderation? No, it's not. But when you grow up in that background, it seems strange. And we need to recognize that people bring their past into the church. And people have different views. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a teetotaler by choice. But especially as we've seen as God has built that church and we have people from all different denominational backgrounds in all different views of alcohol. We need to be sensitive to that as we come and as we worship together. It's just a fact of life. And so am I going to pull out a a glass of alcohol in front of an alcoholic? No. No, I'm not. None of us should. Is it my right? Absolutely, it's your right. But it's not done in love. And we just need to recognize where as we progress, that each of us come from a different background. And Paul reminds us that there's bigger things than food and drink. Look at what he says in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. I'll never forget growing up. There again, remember my background. And I remember my pastor preaching a sermon He was telling us that he had been witnessing to a fireman. And if you grew up Baptist back in the day, not this way any longer, but if you grew up Baptist, there was a firm stance against alcohol. And my pastor is witnessing to a fireman who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fireman looked at him and said, I believe everything that you're saying, but I don't want to accept Christ. And the pastor said, well, if you believe everything that I'm saying, if you believe that Christ lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for you, and that he rose from the grave, why won't you accept him? And the fireman said, because you're going to ask me to give up my beer with my Mexican food. And the pastor said, I'm not going to ask you to give up your beer. Jesus might ask you at some point in your life to give up your beer, but you need to come to Christ. 
Things are more important than food and drink. It's about Jesus Christ. And the church is about Jesus Christ. And we should have a purpose and a passion to move the immature believer to maturity. That's what the church should be about. We recognize that there's immature and immature believers, and in fact, we want immature believers. Because if you don't have immature believers, guess what? No one's coming to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Were you mature when you first accepted Christ? Absolutely not. None of us were. Christ moves us. We should yearn to have immature believers. And having been given immature believers, then the goal, the passion is, is to move people from immaturity to maturity. I've said before, and if you've been around me long enough, my most favorite prayer in all the New Testament is found in Ephesians chapter 3. And it's Paul, as he writes the church at Ephesus, And in Ephesians 3.14, Paul says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Let me stop right there. So he's just said, I'm praying that this will happen to you. That's what Paul's saying here. So he says that he, referring to God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit to the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints. That is the width and the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, Forever and ever. Amen. What's Paul praying for? He is praying for the maturity of the saints. That's what he's praying for. That's what his desire is. He said in verse 18 that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints that which is the width and the length and the depth and the height. That's what we should be about. So when I hound you for attending Wednesday night, I'm not hounding you just so you're here. Or if I hound you if you've missed on a Sunday. Or if I've hound you about going to Bible study. I'm not hounding you just because we get to look at your name and say, Oh, there's another one. There's another one. I've been to churches like that, by the way. 
We want you here because the Bible promises us that if you read the word of God, that you will grow in his grace and knowledge. That is why we want you here. That is why we as believers should ask other people to come here. Because we should have a desire for people to, one, know the Lord Jesus Christ so that they'll be saved and know God. And secondly, we should want people to come here and progress in their walk. Are there immature and mature believers? Absolutely. And we as Christians should love them and pray that the Lord work in their life. And just as Paul prayed to the Ephesians, that they should all come to know the richness of Christ in his glory. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you that you have given us the indwelling of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. That when we read the word and we study it, that we're moved from immaturity to maturity. And I pray, Lord, that we might be practical as we interact with other brothers and sisters in Christ and that we should have a goal for all people to come to understand the richness of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.